Good morning, church family. This morning we're reading from Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus, it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. All right. Thank you, Donna. Good to see you on video. <laughs> um, so that's our text today. If you're here in person, if you're watching online, um, click to it, open to it, uh, get to your Bible passage. Luke 24 is where we're going to be. Take a look at this title. This is a really telling title that his story is building toward good. And then the little tagline is just this, for the Bible tells and told me so. All right, so that's kind of where we're going this morning. We are talking this morning, we're wrapping up the Gospel of Luke. Only a couple more weeks left in it. It's just been a really incredible study um, to be looking at the life of Jesus, to see him interacting with, um, with all the ranges of people that we interact with and to see how he does it. And today we are talking about the history of all things and how the whole Bible intersects and interacts with all of world history. Now, I know what you might be thinking. You might be thinking, wow, that is a huge topic. Like, we're going to cover all of history and all of the Bible and how they intersect. And the answer is yes. That's where we're going this morning. The text that we're in today is utterly sweeping in its scope. Jesus is affirming the whole of Scripture and that it aligns with reality and that it points to him. So yes, it's a huge, broad, giant topic. And it's also a really intimate topic. It is not just sweeping and all of history. It is your history. It is your story and how it interacts with the Bible, which is also intimate and personal because it talks to you as an individual. So just by way of review, Jesus has spent the final week of his life pre-death uh, arguing with the religious leaders in the temple court, right? Uh, they're bickering back and forth. They're coming and trying to test him. Um, he is, he is uh, betrayed by Judas. He is tried in a sham trial. He is put to death and, and, and executed, uh, murdered really, in a criminal excruciating way. Um, and then there are reports of him being alive. Last week we looked at him um, physically showing up. Remember the disciples are in their upper room hideout. The door is locked according to the gospel of John. And then bam, Jesus shows up in their midst. Wow, what are they going to do with this? And he offers them proof of his life. Jesus demonstrates that when you are, this is really good news. Jesus demonstrates that when you are proven to be a backsliding coward, who goes back on your commitment to God. It's exactly what these 11 were. Jesus pursues us and offers peace. That's what went on last week in the text. Here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is still doing this, isn't he? He comes into our hideouts, our places of hiding. And he encourages engagement, not withdrawal. He leads us out of our shame and doubt into the light, often in very surprising and playful kinds of ways. Remember, this bread is really good. Pass the fish. you have any fish I can eat in front of you? So by word and deed, Jesus offers proof of his love to the backsliding disciples. By word and deed, Jesus offers proof that he is really bodily alive, resurrected from the dead. And now he offers biblical proof that God's plan is on schedule and intact. Okay, that's what we just heard from the passage that Donna read. Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. Here's a hint. 
That last verse, verse 49, about staying in Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high, I'm going to really grab that next week. So we're not going to talk too much about that. So much great here, but I'm going to focus on very, two very key distinct ideas. Number one is this, that God is the creator, the author, the producer, the director of, of his story. Each time the story has leapt forward, it has been good and glorious, and it leaves no one pining for the past. Secondly, the Bible tells us this is true. It is central to the story. It is central to our story. And Jesus, this morning, is actually teaching us, disciples centuries later, how to read and interpret our Bibles. All right, so number one, if you're taking notes, by the way, the link below, the bulletin is from last week. We can't change that now. We will change that. If you're watching this in the future, it's already fixed. Boom, there it goes. But the sermon notes are, are totally accurate. So you can click on the link below, follow the sermon notes, and kind of follow along. So I've broken this into two pieces. Number one is that it's his story, God's, and it's building towards good. Verse 44 through uh, 45. So God is ever watchful and in control of the story. Here's what I want you to do really quick. I want you to think of your top five movies. Just get your top five movies in your head. For me, it's always a challenge. I would spend the rest of the time thinking if I had to pick my number one movie, that would be really hard. So I'll just give you your top five. So kind of think top five movies, okay? We're not going to go around and ask that, but just think about it. And if you're really kind of geeky or into movies a lot, you might actually have your top five directors, You might have your top five directors that you go, I love the way this individual puts together stories. Maybe it's a a studio. Uh, Pixar Studio is one of the studios. I absolutely love the way that they tell stories. M. Night Shyamalan, hard hard to say last name, um, he is a guy that, um, that, that puts together movies in a really interesting way, especially his early work. He had a breakout hit called The Sixth Sense in 1999. before some of you were born that are watching right now. But the tool that he used best was this. He would tell a story in this really slow pacing. And he would be very clearly unpacking things. He'd be leaving little subtle things. And as a smart movie watcher, we're watching this going, I know I should know what this means. I don't know how this fits yet, but I'm gonna grab hold of that piece and that piece and that piece. I can tell he's slowly pacing this story forward. And then what he would do, he was the master at using this tool at the very end of the movie. He would give one piece of information that would be the absolute aha moment. And it would would make everything that you had just watched for an hour and 25 minutes fall into place. And you'd go, whoa! And immediately you would think, I need to go back and rewatch this with that ending piece in mind. Okay? Um, without ruining it for you, the sixth sense, here was sort of a key individual piece that happened. It's the little boy, and he whispers these words, I see dead people, right? That little word, like, you, like at the end, this little thing happens, you're like, wow, ah! that's what happens. Okay, so you can go watch that if you want. Um, the physical appearance, the physical resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ showing up in this upper room is that aha moment in the story thus far. It is that kind of moment for the disciples. This one reality, touch my hands, touch my feet. I'm eating fish in front of you. It unlocks all that had gone before up to this point. All of a sudden, the prophets fell into place. All of a sudden, the story that God was doing just just absolutely exploded. Church, I want you to trust in the absolute sovereignty of God. That God really is all-powerful, that God really is all-knowing, and he really is in control. His story is his. He's got it. He creates. He produces. He directs what is happening, and it is building toward good. Each time the story has leapt forward, it has been good and glorious, and it leaves no one pining for the past. When God moves the story along, no one looks back and, 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 and says, man, I wish what was still was. Let me, let me first look back in history for a moment, and, and, I'll, and I'll first point to the, 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 the prophet Jeremiah. Turn to Jeremiah, because we're actually going to be in Jeremiah quite a bit this morning. 
Jeremiah chapter 3. I'm not going to put all the scriptures on screen, but I'm going to put this scripture on screen for you. Um, We're going to get to a lot of sort of technicalities, and it's going to be marvelous, and you're going to have to hang with me, okay? So stay focused. If you see your your, your person next to you, your partner, nudge them and say, hey, pay attention. Let's let's keep on, on track here. So consider the prophet Jeremiah and what he prophesies. Jeremiah chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 16. Think about the fact that when the story launches forward, no one pines for the good old days. Listen to this. And when you have multiplied and been fruitful in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, listen to this, they shall no more say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind or be remembered or missed. It shall not be made again. Verse 17. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. And all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem. And they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. Did you catch it? They shall not say anymore. They shall not remember it or it won't come to mind or it won't be missed. No more Ark of the Covenant. No more carrying this presence of the God on, uh, on, on the big camping trip. Why? Because something better had arrived. It will never enter their minds. The idea that now God's presence is going to be in a temple in Jerusalem. Think about it. If you're living in real time, you go, wow, that's a, that's a day coming. I can't wait for that. Now, Jesus blows their mind once again. Why? Because a brand new era has arrived. What's the new era? The new era is this, that Jerusalem is no longer the presence, the center of worship. That's not where God dwells. It will not even come to our mind that we long for, if only God could just reside in a temple in Jerusalem somewhere. Why? Because Jesus blows the story up. It's bigger and better and more breathtaking than anyone could come up with. Jeremiah 31, 31. Let's continue on with Jeremiah. Listen to what it says. It says this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Hold new covenant in your mind. With the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Verse 33. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one say to his neighbor. And each, and each brother saying know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity. And I will remember their sins no more. All right, look at me for a second. Our text in Luke is the next installment of this history that's been put down in written record some 600 years before Jesus is born. I'm walking you through history, right? It used to be the Ark of the Covenant. Then it was going to be one day, it was going to be the presence of the Lord in the temple in Jerusalem. Now it's being prophesied there's coming a day when that's not going to be the, the, the case. And here we are. Jesus is moving the story forward. Now consider one final verse in the New Testament, okay? Turn or look at the screen at 1 Corinthians 11.25. It says, in the same way, Also, he took the cup after supper, saying, listen to this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. All right, so what leaps out to us in that? That this is the new covenant. This was prophesied 600 years ago that this was going to happen. It's happening right now here in my blood. Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet right? That's tomorrow. That's, that's later on that night, the betrayal and all those things. This is the institution of communion, the Lord's Supper. And so now, just a few days later, uh, the minds of the disciples are coming out of the fog and getting an understanding of how the story launches forward. No more ark, no more temple in Jerusalem, no more sacrificial system of cleansing and forgiveness. Jesus throws the story so incredibly forward that we never pine for the past. Do you know what I never do? I never read Leviticus as a current modern day shepherd of the church, pastor in the church and go, oh man, I wish people would bring me sheep so I could slaughter them, sprinkle the blood and do all the Levitical things. I never do that. Andres, do you ever do that? Never. Why? Because something way better is here. Was it hard to live through all of that history? Absolutely. 
Is it difficult to be enslaved in Egypt? I would imagine so. Is it hard to not know whether it's four days, four years, four months, or four decades when you're wandering in the wilderness following God? I would bet that's really challenging. But what we can say on the backside of it is the future that God is building towards redeems and restores even the junky stuff to something glorious and beautiful such that we will not pine for the past. Man, that's so huge and so hopeful. God moves the story along. His story is building toward good. And because he loves us, he fills us in with the parts that we need to be filled in with. Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. Listen to this. Ephesians 1, 9 to 10. I didn't write any of these in the notes. I'm not being punky to you. I just didn't get to it. Someone can put these in the live chat so they're, they're recorded. Ephesians 1, 9 to 10 says this. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purposes, which he set forth in Christ. Listen to verse 10. As a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Church, hear me. By faith, we know this will happen again. God is moving history along toward good. We look forward with hope because this is true. So God is the creator. He's the author. He's the producer. He's the director of history. Take courage today that things are on track, on budget, and moving forward, even though we can't see it all. Of course we can't. We know intuitively this is how it works. We play a small part, and we trust that someone else is keeping the big picture in mind. I want you to watch and hear from an interview that I did with Angel this week. Um, He's a dear friend of ours, and he's on staff here at the church. Angel is what you call a marketplace pastor. What's that? It means that he has a job elsewhere that pays the bills and lets him eat, but he works on staff as full-time as he can. In fact, Angel's story is this. He was a Telemundo sportscaster for years and years and years. He came on staff here as a marketplace pastor. And essentially, that job took so much from him, and they couldn't give enough time to the church. He changed directions. He now makes movies again, full-time, primarily with his brother, and primarily uh, in Colombia. And what I want you to see is this. I want you to listen carefully as we discuss the idea of story and implementing story and creating a movie. I want you to hear the process I want you to hear about all the the behind-the-scenes details that go on in the movie, and I want you to think about the individuals who play a part in that whole process, but don't have the big picture in mind, okay? So we're going to watch this in just a second. I want you to make the connections, okay? So listen to this as we think of God being the producer of his story. Take a a look. All right, so we have Angel here. Uh, You're one of the best storytellers that I know personally. Um, my wife and I, whether it's our wives out together for dinner or whether it's you and me driving with our kids in Bogota, our uh-huh. family agrees that we love hearing you tell stories. It's something God's <laughs> gifted with you. And it's something you've actually turned uh, into a job and also into your ministry as you preach. Um, so I want to ask mm-hmm. you a couple of questions and, and you could sure. fire away with your answers. So number one is this. When you shape a story for a movie... Um, what does that process look like? And do you have a set pattern uh, for turning an idea into a completed movie, or is it different each time? The process that we usually use is find, the first one is find a good story to write mm. and make the script is the first one. When you have the script, we start to looking for the places where we are going to record it. Houses, offices, streets, cars. We have to ask for the permits to do that, to record in the street or wherever the place that we are going to to film. Mm-hmm. And we start to looking for the actors, equipment, rentals like uh, cameras, cranes, drones, many things. So mm-hmm. we have several departments: costume department of art, department of photography casting, etc., because it's really, really a huge deal. <clears throat> mm. So when we have already actions, the <laughs> filming start. 
And finally, when we finish there, we start the post-production. The post-production mm. does include the edition, the screening, mm. the colorization film, and the sound mix. Mm. And now, when we finish that process, so we have the movie, the movie ready, please pay for the ticket because the movie is in the theater. That sounds exhausting. Yeah, we, we, we spend like <laughs> eight or 10 months in mm. all the process. Wow, that's amazing. So how about this? As, uh, as a movie producer, um, what are some useful tools for making a good movie? So for instance, um, if I don't care about the character, I don't really care what happens to them. So I won't keep watching. So what are some of the tools you use as a, as a storyteller, as a, as a movie maker? First, and I think that is the more important, we need to create a great, great story mm. that people can relate to. That mm. is the principal things. In that story, we have a love story. That mm. is important. Love inside the story. Love is always, always important, attractive to people. We have always to know that the end of the story before we start to write in it. That is mm. really important because sometimes we have a good ideas, mm -hmm. but if the idea don't have any strong development or if not clear, mm. uh, I prefer don't write in mm. because I know that if the end is not really, really strong, mm. the idea is losing in the way. Um, Angel, we've talked about this before. You have a real love for the arts in the church. And so do I. We, we see as a church, uh, we want to cultivate and nurture the arts. So one of the things that uh, would just be great to see are Christians, image bearers of God, telling great stories through the medium of movies. So here's my last question. Uh, what is mm -hmm. a specific next step that someone can take if they want to start entering movies as a career, either as a director or a producer or a screenwriter uh -huh. or whatever it might be, what is something tangible they, they can do? The first one, you have to study an audiovisual profession. In my case, I am mm. a social communicator and I am a journalist. If you are a creative person, you can be a cre cre creator of ideas or mm. you can be a writer. Mm. You can be a director. If mm. you know how to be a leader mm. and you can see an script and say, hey, this script, I have to become a movie. And if you are a business person, you know how to hire, if you know how to manage budgets, so you can be an executive producer. Very good. Está we, bueno? we, we understand very good. Thank you very much. And uh, you're going to be preaching in front of the English service soon. So keep brushing up on your English. <laughs> See you. All right. Man, thanks to Angel for that. He's such a good sport. He, uh, he actually let me know that, man, because he's doing so much stuff uh, not out and about, his English is diminishing, but it's always, I told him his English is far better than my Spanish. Uh, this, last, this last screenshot, this is available on Netflix right now. There's subtitles for English. Um, it's sort of a modern take on the nativity scene. So go and support Angel's latest film. Uh, he was, I remember when he, I think we were in Columbia at the time together when he had this concept for this video that was coming up. So holy expectations. Um, take a, take, take a, a look at that. Listen, there are so many parallels. I've been sitting with this text for a while and um, there are so many parallels to what Angel just sort of walked us through. By the way, if you're an aspiring movie maker or want to be in the industry, so powerful that we have someone in our midst that is just really generous and willing to share. So great to maybe grab some time with him and, um, and pick his brain on, on how to get involved in that. But this whole idea that God is the creative, exec uh, um, creative uh, uh, executor, uh, the producer, the director, whatever title you want to say that says that he's the one sort of controlling it all, that's God. And history is his story. And so now we shift to, to, to part two of this, part two of this title that says, For the Bible Tells Me So. Oh, by the way, For the Bible Told Me So, too. It's all been sitting right there. So I want, I want to sort of steer our idea or our, our, um, our minds now on how the scriptures intersect and interact with world history. So much of our life in God 
ties back to words, to our listening to them, to our paying attention and heeding. And what is at stake is life or death. It doesn't always feel that way. It doesn't always feel that way because it's not always in real time. But what is at stake is life or death. Look at our passage today, back in Luke 24, verse 44. Just listen to how much words and communication show up. Jesus is being referred to when it says, Then he said to them, said, These are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me. Then he goes on to give shorthand for the whole of the Old Testament. In the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, that's written communication, and said to them, that's spoken communication, it is written. Do you see the interplay? Over and over and over again, Jesus keeps talking about what was written down in the scriptures. He keeps steering us back to the scriptures. You know, relationship is founded on communication. And good relationships are founded on good communication. God is a speaking, communicating being. He does not leave us in the dark, nor does he give us the silent treatment. Like the best people relationships that we know, he speaks up regularly, he shares openly, and he is true to our word. I want to be that kind of communicator. When we see that in others and, we're, and we celebrate it and we like it, those things are um, images of God that, that, that we're seeing. Remember the two on the road to Emmaus, right? It's the same day. Jesus, there's sort of rumors of him maybe reported alive. They're leaving the main scene, going back to Emmaus. What was the classroom Jesus taught them in? The classroom was the world. It was their walk. He comes up alongside them and he journeys with them. And, and speaks with his disciples sort of in the everyday task of traveling from point A to point B. That was the classroom. What was the curriculum? Jesus doesn't go off on a long speech. He doesn't do other things. He points back to Scripture. In fact, he says, surprise, it's all in your Bible. It says he begins and he goes back and he starts to show them how it's all about him. Jesus is doing the same thing with these 11 So the reason we carefully look at the Bible is because Jesus tells his disciples that it is all still relevant to their current crisis and that it's about him. So we carefully look at the scriptures because the details are in there. The reason we prayerfully look at the scriptures is because the disciples still needed Jesus to open their minds. They had the Bible already. They were misunderstanding it, misinterpreting it, or just missing it altogether somehow. We prayerfully look at the Bible because we need a touch from the Master to have our eyes opened to what is in there. Remember the scriptures at this point that I'm talking about is what we would now refer to as our Old Testament. The first two-thirds of your Bible if you're holding a printed Bible in your hand. A simple definition that we use around here of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, I think this cuts through all the questions, well, how can you judge my heart and all that kind of stuff? Um, Here it is, ready? A true disciple, a Christian, quite simply hears and does what Jesus says. How do you know if you're a Christian? How do you know if you're a disciple? You hear and do what Jesus says. Do you ever catch yourself not listening while a, friend, uh, while a friend is in front of you and you're, and you're listening to them? I do. I'm right in front of a friend. I'm listening to them. And in the middle of that, I catch myself not listening. Do you ever find yourself reading the Bible and then stop paying attention while you're reading the Bible? I do. All the time. Here's the reality. It takes effort It takes practice, and it actually takes intentionality to listen really well and be present to a friend. That's why I said at the start of this, some of you consider me your friend, and you're like, yeah, Dave, I'm doing that right now. I am not listening to you, but I'm sort of nodding along and pretending to, but my mind is on lunch or whatever's happening elsewhere. It takes effort. It takes practice. It takes intentionality. Do you know what I need to do with my mind before church, before giving myself to a worship service? I say, God, would you help me set down everything from the past, everything coming up after? Would you help me to be really present here? 
I'm about to come give a sermon. Would you help me to be present in the songs that we're singing? Would you just direct my attention to you? When you sit down to read your Bible today, later on today, early tomorrow morning, whenever you do it, I hope you do it every day. It's a prayer to just say, God, I want to be intentional about this. I know how my mind can wander. Would you meet me here? Would you give me understanding uh, into what I'm about to do? I want to show you that hundreds of times throughout the Bible, the biblical authors keep recording the idea that hearing or not hearing from God, listening or not listening and paying attention to the words of God, has life and death, blessing or curse attached to it. I want to show you that, but I can't do it. There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times through Scripture if we had time to do it. I don't have time. So what I'm going to do instead, get to Jeremiah chapter 7. Go flip over, click over, find Jeremiah chapter 7. If you're in a browser, just get a new tab. You don't need to look at me. Jeremiah chapter 7. It'll pull it up, okay? I want you to look at these things, and we're going to move through several passages just in, the, in one of the prophets. He mentions the prophets. It's one of the major prophets, Jeremiah. And I just want you to see how the, the intent of the biblical author, it's in the details of this, is saying what's before you is life or death. Literally, it's listen or die. That's the message being put forth, okay? And we look back on our history because we know that history is ever moving forward. We are currently living some marvelous, incredible, challenging days of history. All right, so here's the big idea that I'm wanting you to pay attention to is how the biblical authors are highlighting through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit the importance of really hearing from God, of keeping to the Scriptures. Here it is, Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 2. God says to Jeremiah, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house and proclaim these words and say, listen to this, Hear the word of the Lord, all you men of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, listen to this, amend your ways and deeds. That means change, repent, and I will let you dwell in this place. Verse 4, do not trust in these deceptive words. Do you hear it? Thus says the Lord, don't be deceived by by these lying words. And here's the quote. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. In other words, just by rote repetition, that doesn't, that doesn't matter to God. Now listen to if then, listen or die. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, why is the word truly in there? Because we've all played religion. We've all pretended, right? It's not been from the heart. For if you truly amend your ways and deeds, if you truly execute justice, with one another. If you do not oppress the sojourner, that's the foreigner living among you, the fatherless or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods in, uh, to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave you of old to your fathers forever. Listen to this. Behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Church, how important is it who we're listening to? Who we're getting words from? Who we're heeding? Who we're paying attention to? Who our advisors are? Skip down to verse 23, still Jeremiah chapter 7. But this, I com- this command I gave them, listen, obey my voice and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I command you, that it may be well with you. How sad verse 24 is. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels. And the stubbornness of their evil hearts, listen to this, and went backward, not forward. Man, that's massive. I don't want to go backward in life. I want to go forward with God in life. He's telling them the reason it is because they didn't listen to him. They didn't live out what they were hearing. 
They did not listen or incline their ear. Flip over a chapter, Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 5. By the way, I'm just reading in Jeremiah for Lent. This Lent season, I'm going through Jeremiah. This is just in my own study. I'm just seeing this popping off the page with Luke 24 in my mind. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 5. Someone put that down. Jeremiah 8, 5 to 6 says this. Why then has this people turned away, listen, in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. I have paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. Everyone turns to his own course. Same chapter, verse 9, Jeremiah 8, 9. The wise men will be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Behold, listen, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom is in them? They've abandoned God's word. Chapter 9, verse 13, just a couple more. Two more in, in, in Jeremiah 9. Jeremiah nine thirteen. Because they have forsaken my law that I set before them and have not obeyed my voice or walked in accord with it. He's describing the bad things that are going to happen and are happening to them. Jeremiah 9.20, Hear, O women, the word of the Lord, and let your ear receive the word of His mouth. Here's a great summary statement of what all of these are getting at. Jeremiah 13.15 from the New Living Translation. This is the core. This is the crux. Listen and pay attention. Do not be arrogant, for the Lord has spoken. Can I read that again? Because this is a nugget to live by. Jeremiah 13, 15. Listen and pay attention. Do not be arrogant, for the Lord has spoken. Church, hear me. Listen or die. It's that serious. At first, it will show up as it seems like you're going backward rather than forward. At first, it will seem like, well, I'm not as successful in some ways, but really listen or die. That's the command. That's the warning. That's the pleading of God to his people. You and I are ever tempted to be lulled into listening to other voices. We take our attention and we divide it to our own peril. We have divided loyalties and selective hearing. It's not just your kids. Neighborhood Bible Church doesn't just preach the Bible, but makes preachers out of the Bible. One of the ways that we're committed to doing that is this. I regularly show you from the text what I'm getting. I want you looking at the text yourself. I point to it. I read it. I reread it. I do this so that you can go and do this on your own. I'm well aware, many of you watching and in our congregation are far better at this than I am. God chooses the weak to shame the wise. I'm not sure why I'm the preacher. I just know that I have a job to do. I'm laying awake last night, not in terror, but in holy reverence, saying, God, help me tomorrow to say, thus saith the Lord. And let me proclaim it loudly and boldly and clearly as best as I can in your spirit so it feeds the sheep, so it steers the people. So they hear from you. And as long as I keep preaching the scriptures, I'm convinced I have something to say. Church, be a minor after the things of God. Don't settle for the surface truths that are there. Don't settle for for your small-minded, young, Christian, little child understanding. Are there nuggets of things for our understanding? Yes, but children are inherently selfish. So are the spiritually young. You inherently make it all about you. Lucas just said this. I loved it. The blessing is not just you and your current crisis. This passage is that all of history intersects with all of the Bible. So God wants to lift our eyes to see a bigger picture. Dig in for yourself. This passage shows what we all know to be true. That the Bible gets misinterpreted, misunderstood. The truth of God is spiritually discerned. That means having eyes to see and a mind to comprehend. We can still not see and comprehend. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. 
couple weeks ago, looking at the two on the road to Emmaus, when he began to speak and unlock the scriptures to us, didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't we have this aha moment of like, that's how this whole thing fits together. It takes the work of the master. So church, ask as you read. Seek as you study the things of God. Knock while you are pondering the difficult realities and complexities of this life. God is for you gaining reality. And he seems plenty glad to engage you in discovering the answers. This takes practice. This takes effort. This takes intentionality. So misunderstanding and misinterpretation are sometimes, not always, but sometimes they're a function of slow and dull thinking, being influenced by surrounding voices or opinions, shaped by our own current circumstances. There is truth to get at in the Scriptures. So seek after it. It's not a free-for-all of just what it means to us. So I don't have time here to unpack what are good biblical interpretation principles. There are good biblical uh, interpretation principles. In fact, Jesus is giving us one. It's all about him. If you haven't found Jesus in the Old Testament, keep digging. By the way, quick chance to highlight this. These aren't for sale. These are for free. These are for giving away. We bear the brunt of the cost of these two resources because we're so high on giving these to our family. This is called Old Story New. It's about the New Testament. We're walking through this right now with our children's ministry. It takes all of the New Testament, all the principles, and instead of turning people into uh, functional moralists that just say, do the right thing and God will be happy with you, we point it to the gospel. It looks back on the sacrifice of Jesus. It looks back on what Jesus is doing in this passage, saying that it's all about him. This is called long story short. Is the Old Testament a long story? Yeah, a really long one. It keeps pointing the Old Testament forward to Jesus. Showing that to us. We're so big on this curriculum that we want it in your hands as a family. So if you're new to our church, um, reach out to us. We will get you copies of that for your own personal home uh, ministry. These things here in the Bible must be fulfilled. I don't know how this looked, but how cool to be in a Bible study with Jesus. Once again, he's freshly risen from the dead. And Jesus comes along and says, see, it's all here. Messiah is promised. And it's promised that he would suffer. Oh, and over here it shows that he'll rise from the dead on the third day. Oh, and check this out. Over here, that people need to repent and receive the forgiveness of sins. Oh, and here's what's coming. You're going to be as witnesses. You're going to proclaim this to the whole world. By the way, Luke's sequel is called the book of Acts. Just lays out exactly what Jesus promised was coming in the future. So it's all right here and it's all about me, says Jesus. He's teaching his disciples then and now how to read the Bible. You know, there's sometimes huge power in someone saying something that shuts your brain off to the truth. In fact, sometimes we can hear something so often that it becomes common knowledge even though it's not true. This has happened through the centuries. It's happening right now. Jesus repeatedly said during his famous Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say to you. What is he doing? He is unlocking the truth to what their minds had shut down to what it meant. Why? Because it was common knowledge of how to interpret that scripture. You've heard it said this. Jesus says, but I say to you, right? He's not saying, oh, the Old Old Testament scriptures are nonsense. He's interpreting it properly. He sheds light on topics ranging from anger to lust to divorce to making oaths to retaliation to loving your enemies. There was misinterpretation due to a herd mentality. The falsehood trickled its way into the conversation and became the very words of God, only it wasn't. It was wrong. This is happening all over the place today. We, we are to guard against it. Just listen to 2 Timothy 1.13. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Then it goes on to name. Paul's naming those 
who are turning away from sound teaching, naming them as false teachers. Becky and I really enjoy reading our Bibles together. And we're at a life stage where we can now leave older kids with younger kids and get off for a quick coffee date and kind of have our scriptures open. Here's what usually happens. It usually lessens the amount of time that we actually get to read the Bible, but it increases our spiritual bond. Here's why. She's reading somewhere, I'm reading somewhere, and she just did this list last week. Sorry to interrupt again, but I just have to tell you this. And she came up with this discovery that I said, wow, babe, I'm going to use that in the sermon because that's so powerful, that's so profound. Here it is. She was reading in Joshua. Joshua was the guy post-Moses called to lead the people of God into a foreign land that God is giving to them. And this refrain comes over and over again in Joshua. Remember, be strong and courageous. Now, I ask you here, I ask you, when you hear be strong and courageous, what comes to your mind? Just think about it. I'll tell you what comes to my mind, because I know the story of Joshua, and I can already sort of fill in the circle of where it's going. I think about the physical fight that's ahead for Joshua. Be strong and courageous as you enter the land, because as you go in to take this land, they're not going to lay down and die. There is a fight on your hands. But as you look into the story of Joshua, you see this. It's probably not primarily a physical be strong and courageous, but a spiritual be strong and courageous. In other words, as you go into the cities of people who name good all these things that I have called wicked and evil and despicable, and who call bad the very good things of God, be strong and courageous. Listen again with the spiritual mindset that as we go into our cities and our neighborhoods and our world, that there is a strength and courage needed to hold true to the words of God. Joshua 1.8 says this, the book of the law, there it is again, not negating old writings, but putting it front and center. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. Church, hear me. Right now, many, many, many people that you know, leaders and followers alike, are abandoning clear, sound, biblical teaching simply because they are frightened and weak. They are not strong and courageous in the Lord. The fear of man and the desire for peer acceptance is greater than the fear of God and adherence to what he has clearly taught. Are there many things that are gray issues in Scripture? Yes, there are many, many things. Debate and discuss those in a spirit of love and truth and grace and wisdom. But there are many things that are crystal clear that are being utterly abandoned and washed down the river simply because Christians are not being strong and courageous. It takes courage and strength in the Lord to hold fast to a clear, simple, historical, not outside the mainstream, just revelation of God on who God is, on who people are, on their relationship to Him, on their relationship to one another. Things are being tested and tried all the time. So not only is the truth misunderstood, it is also sometimes willfully misrepresented. I wrap up with this, the idea of false teachers, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing, up, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Once again, note the pattern. God is on record, on written record. This has happened, and this will happen again. Super easy to see this happening in our day and age. So we are to be on guard. Warning has been given. Swift destruction is in front of them. Many will follow their sensuality. They will exploit you with false words.
the final or next to last installment of The Bible Is. We had this series in January. Go listen to it if you haven't listened to it. It's just on, on the fact that, that the Bible will lose its luster. The, the everydayness of it will say, surely there's not truth and wisdom in my life that's relevant today in this old book. It is. It's there. I hope everyday Bible turns from a, oh, it's just an everyday thing, to an everyday thing that you apply yourself and give yourself to it, that you pay attention to it, heed it, and that God intersects your story by speaking to you. Here's the one I want to give you this morning is this, the Bible is understandable. The Bible is really a library of 66 books. It's understandable. It takes God to open our minds to understand what's there. Otherwise, we will read into the Scriptures all kinds of meaning that's not there. To understand the setting, think of on hell and movies. To understand the setting of any book is huge. If you see these words on the screen, a long, long time, a, a, a long time ago in a galaxy far away, right? When you see that and you see stars everywhere and a spaceship coming, you're like, okay, this is a space futuristic setting. Contrast that with Saving Private Ryan where it opens on D-Day and the landing of, of military people on the beaches. You go, okay, this is historical. That's the setting. How about if we get the plot in our mind? Man, you would misunderstand Gideon completely if you don't see the bigger picture. You would think, oh, we're supposed to test God. That's what we're supposed to do. That's what the Bible's teaching. No, it's not. Let me give you one more. Think about the type of writing. In other words, that poetry is different from history, which is different from a letter to a church, which is different from apocalyptic literature, which I'm reading Revelation right now. Pray that Jesus would open your mind because you recognize that to hear and do what Jesus says is the essence of a disciple. Wherever you are, just close your eyes for a moment. We're going to wrap up with a song that's uh, called Glorious Day, and, and it's going to just, um, I hope, solidify and sink some things into you. Friends, God is creator, author, producer, and, di- and director of history. His story leaps forward in Luke 24 in leaps and bounds. It throws open understanding to everything that's preceded it. We're still looking at it, talking about it today. Here's what I want to point to you. By faith, we know this happens again. The end of the age has a date. It's set by God and it's secure. It's on track, it's on budget, it's on time and God's going to see that it happens and when it does, there will be eternal shalom. There will be restoration of all things. So church, today, live as a student of the past for the purpose of shaping the future. God, help us to be students of the past, not to live there, but to to shape the future for us and these generations that we pray blessing over on our children and their children and their children. God, so, so long as you hold off coming back, that we would be intentional, clothed with power on high, to be about your story. In the risen name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.